Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, high-tech camo wear at a price you can afford. Huntworthgear.com. And by Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. Now a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and always a supporter of duck hunters everywhere. Ducks.org. I'm Dan Small. This is the opening weekend of Wisconsin's gun deer season, so we've got a few deer stories for you. Today, Minnesota-based outdoor writer Joe Shedd talks about his new book, Bucktails, Stories from the Deer Stand. My partner Jeff Kelm tells us about his successful bow hunt. And guest host Rob Dreesline talks waterfowl hunting with David Schusler of Ducks Unlimited. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, and it's brought to you by Pappas Trading Post, southern Wisconsin's largest Matthews and Mission archery retailer. They're located just west of Arena at the intersection of Highway 14 and County Highway H. And don't forget, just look for the two giant arrows on the south side of Highway 14. You can't miss it. You can find them online as well at PappasTradingPost.com. And you hear this feature every week at this time on WTSO, the Big 1070, and anytime at all on our podcast on LakeLink or iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, joining us once again from the Trading Post is J.C. Chamberlain. Well, J.C., good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to be back. Gun season is underway, but some folks are still bow hunting, or at least you legally can, can't you, during the gun season? You sure can. It actually works out pretty nice. Like, some of us kind of diehard usually try to take advantage of that here and there uh-huh. <laughs> and if you happen to fill your buck tag with a rifle and you want to sit out during the rest of the gun season sit out in the woods you can do that with the bow or crossbow as long as you haven't taken that deer with either one of those weapons for me to usually be able to pick out one buck a year has <laughs> been pretty tough definitely something that you know is there is an opportunity that you know a lot of people don't really think about uh, especially when you get into that later stuff into the muzzleloader and some of the four-day doe seasons that kind of thing you can still only shoot a doe but you know you can use a lesser weapon which is pretty neat yeah and a lesser weapon uh, is the term the technical term for it which means a bow or a crossbow i think some people don't understand the rules you you must wear blaze orange anytime a firearm or muzzleloader deer season is open even if you're bow hunting correct that is correct so no matter what you do have to have the blaze orange on there um, and it's one of those things, it's kind of like, you know, arrows, broadheads, bows, trucks, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, everybody has their opinion about the, the blaze orange, but myself personally, I don't think it makes that big a difference with the deer. You know, I've had deer in mere feet away wearing a blaze orange vest and hat and never had any problems. So. Yep, yep, I have too during the gun season. So as long as you're in a tree stand or somewhere where you're not moving and... And the, and the wind is right. The, the orange is not a big deterrent, I don't think. I don't believe so either. Um, I do believe in the, you know, like the UV soaps, that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you hit it on the head. The biggest thing is movement. Yeah. 100%. They pick that up more than anything. Absolutely. Well, have you heard any good stories now of people getting some nice deer during the, the archery season? Uh, we've had some nice deer shot during the archery season. You know, the latter part there had been going pretty good for most of the guys. 
I haven't heard of really many giants being killed. I don't know if you guys had talked about it before. One of our old employees, he shot a probably 170, 173-inch 10-pointer, so really nice deer. His biggest by far. Yep, Randy. That was pretty neat to see. <laughs> Randy mentioned that last time we talked to him, yep. Since then, um, I know a few you know, unique deer that were shot, but no like real real big deer that I'm aware of anyway. That what, do you, what do you call unique? Uh, odd antlers or piebald or what? Uh, yeah, actually just, you know, like weird um, antler configurations. Like uh, one, um, it was actually a deer that we had on one of the farms. Uh, one of the neighbors had killed it. A uh, real tight rack, but like his beams came up and touched and actually kind of like swooped up just a little bit where they hit it, you know, bumped into each other. Um, and he had, his tines were, you know, fairly long for the rack. Um, just one of those deer, you know, unique in that way where he touched, had really tall brow tines. So, yeah. neat looking deer. Yeah, I have seen, it may be the same deer, I've seen at least one photo of a deer whose uh, brow, uh, not brow tines, but main beams were touching right out in front. So if he uh, if if he could see them, he'd go cross-eyed watching his his antlers grow. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it was actually I was wondering if he was gonna you know break stuff off, um, you know fighting or whatnot. Just, mm-hmm. It was kind of curious to see, and he uh, surprisingly didn't even really have a nick in the rack that I'm aware of. So I'll be darned. Um, I don't know if he just didn't rub a whole lot or what, but. Uh, you know, a neat one to see for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now for folks who are going to be bow hunting after the firearms and muzzleloader season, and uh, what is it next? The statewide four-day doe only, and antlerless. then yeah, or antlerless rather, and then the holiday hunt in a bunch of counties, thirty-seven, I believe. You still got some uh, archery season left. Uh, late in the year where it's cold and it should be snow on the ground, what do you do then? That time of year, you know, food is everything. Um, if you got a food source around, um, you know, that's typically where they're going to be. If it's super cold um, and you get those nice warm sunny days, a lot of times those south sides will actually be covered up with deer. And there's a lot of browse there as well usually. I mean, those would be probably my two main focus points. If you do have open water somewhere, um, that could be a big thing as well. By then, a lot of the ponds and tanks and stuff have frozen up. But if they have a spot where they can get it, you know, a creek that stays open or, a, you know, like kind of a mud flat type of thing, that'll stay a little bit warmer than a lot of times, you know, they'll hit that fairly consistently. Mm-hmm. Do you know anybody who actually tries stalking or still hunting with a bow when there's snow on the ground where you can see a little better? Not too many guys around. I've heard of guys doing it, you know, in the standing corn. Sure. I can't say that I've done it here. I've done it out west, but definitely something that could be very effective. You know, on the hardwoods, it's a little bit harder. <laughs> right. Just because there usually is enough topography that they can spot you pretty easy, but it definitely can be a very effective thing to do. Yeah, I I knew people years ago who did, in fact, they even called it corn stalking, where you'd walk actually crosswise to the rows and stick your head in and look one way and then the other way and then step into the next row and go through the field that way. Yeah, I've heard of guys doing that, especially with the gun, but, you know, you get those good, you know, windy days late and you get 
deer in that standing corn, you can get pretty darn close before you have to worry about them hearing you. Now, though, many people are planting corn. I don't know how wide their rows are, but I want to say more like 24 instead of 30. Uh, they used to be, I think, 30 or 36 inches wide, so you could actually walk down one. It's tough now. Yeah, most of the spots that I've hunted anyway with the corn, it's close enough that I have to be sideways, and I'm not a real big guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It can get, get kind of tight. Where I live, most of the corn was down before gun season. I don't know how much corn there will be standing after gun season. Yeah, they've done quite a number on here, you know, right before gun season um, out here by us as well. There's still a couple spots that were, you know, got a little bit standing with kind of some of the normal guys. But for the most part, I think most of the farmers did really well and got a lot of that crop off. Yeah, which enables us to see a long distance and kind of eliminates a lot of cover for deer, which will put them into swales and woodlots and brushy spots and other cover that they didn't need to use when the corn was standing. Yeah, a lot of those tall natural grasses, too, if they're not getting packed down by snow or anything like that, can be a huge draw for the deer late in the year as well. You know, just areas that they can get into and hide really well. Tough to rustle them out of there, that's for sure. It is, yeah, but if you can sneak on them or, uh, you know, do a little two-man drive and move one along and you might get a shot. Before we let you go, you are closed for the whole nine days of the gun season, correct? That is correct. And then once... Um, and then we'll be opened up after that. We'll be our normal hours, so Monday through Friday, 10 to 6, and Saturday, 9 to 5. All right. Well, JC, I want to thank you for all your reports this year, and uh, you and Randy both, and wish you and everybody else there uh, good luck during what's left of the firearm season and the late bow season, if you'll be hunting that. Oh, absolutely. Good luck to everybody out there late, and uh, hopefully we got some more stories coming in by the time we talk next time. All right. Well, <laughs> well thank you much. We'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. You bet. J.C. Chamberlain with our final outdoors report from Pappas Trading Post for the season while everybody is gun hunting now. But as he mentioned, there's still bow hunting opportunities after, during and after the gun season. And they are closed during gun season, but afterwards they will be open normal hours. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named best personal injury law firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678 or visit hupe.com. And all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business. And Michael Hupe, who is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers, has announced that he will pay a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got a tip 
on an unsolved homicide case, visit MilwaukeeCrimestoppers.com. Well, this is opening weekend, as I mentioned earlier, of our gun deer season. I'm up at deer camp in Bayfield County with my son John, friends Ozzy Oswald, and Dave Roll, who's also our videographer for Deer Hunt Wisconsin, and a couple of John's friends. And joining me from deer camp in Douglas County, Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, you are hunting up north of gun deer season for the first time. Yeah, not too far away from uh, Superior, and not very far away at all from Lake Superior. It's uh, it's it's pretty neat to to be in the North Woods for deer camp. Uh, you know, obviously, I miss the 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 close knit family uh, time that we had at the the farm over the course of my entire hunting career. But this is a new adventure and uh, a new opportunity. The the uh, the guys that I'm with they uh, they lost their father last winter. And so for them, this is new as well, a new property, uh, a new deer camp for them, too. So this is a kind of a new tradition here, Dan. Well, that's good. And your son, Robert, is with you, I understand. He's already notched one deer to his credit. Yep, he's got uh, he's got one antlerless deer, and uh, he has tags to, to go through. He has an antlerless tag that's good for this area, being that he's got a, a youth tag, and he's uh, also got his buck tag, and this is the first regular gun deer season that he's going to actually be able to uh to pull the trigger that we've got the practice time in we've got uh, the experience down we've got everything set for him and it's going to be fun to see if he can pull it off well and you get to experience as he does um, a north woods typical winter opening weekend this is kind of what i'm used to from many years of hunting up in bayfield county uh, within sight of lake superior depending on where you stand on the on the property and gosh snow on the ground that's a good thing but uh, northwest wind that's typical and temps in single digits so i uh, i hope you guys stay warm yeah that's a good you know that's the challenge dan especially with with kids uh you know it, the gear for adults has get gets better and better, and the gear for, the the gear for kids has gotten better, but hasn't quite kept the same pace. And and uh, so what what we'll we got all of our hand warmers, we got our heater, we got we got all that set. And we just cross our fingers we'll uh, we'll be able to kind of stay out of the wind enough to keep them warm. Yeah, I hope so. And of course, you and I have that heat boost uh, technology in our bibs i'm wearing those which are much warmer than anything else i've worn before in in a single layer garment so i'm hoping that'll keep me warm for the coldest of the weather that we're going to be facing here for sure for sure well we have um some other deer related things to talk about we will come back in a few minutes and hear about your successful bow hunt uh, from a week or so ago and we're going to talk with Joe Shedd, who also is a big deer hunter, and he hunts Douglas County, and I think Bayfield County as well, and he's going to share some stories from his new deer hunting book called Bucktails, and we'll have the first of four guest interviews by Rob Dreesline. He's the host of Minnesota Outdoor News, that radio show and podcast, and he's going to talk about, uh, he's going to talk with a guy from Ducks Unlimited. And folks, if you're interested in Deer Hunt Wisconsin, the TV show, it's archived on our YouTube channel. So we'll be back after this break with Jeff's recent bow hunt. You wait quietly, but you're getting impatient. It's been two hours and still nothing. You hear it. It's close. 
You see movement, but you sit tight because safe hunting is no accident. With all different hunting seasons open, your fellow hunters could be in a stand, on the ground, or in a blind. Do not shoot at movement. Be aware of what's in front of your target and what is beyond it. Wisconsin DNR. Adventures and memories. Enjoy Wisconsin's wild side. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small, and as we mentioned in our opening remarks, Jeff has a very interesting story about a bow hunt that he did recently. So, Jeff, uh, tell us how that went down starting with how you found that property and the excitement you had before this uh, deer that you shot came along. Yeah, Dan, this is uh this has been a unique year for me as we've mentioned many times before. I uh we don't have access to the Kelm family farm anymore. We unfortunately had to sell that earlier in the year and and um so I have really been doing a lot of public land scouting and uh, using Onyx Maps, uh, which is an app that you can get onto your phone, uh, utilizing uh, Google Maps, which, you know, most people have for, you know, finding their way around, you know, different places around the around the world. And, and um, I've also been utilizing county GIS maps, which 
are available in in most counties here in the state of Wisconsin, especially. And um, I've been using them both in Washera County and Wood County. And you know what I was really trying to concentrate on over the course of time is uh, is not only finding where deer may have some travel corridors and and things, uh, but where they have the the, the necessary things to survive especially when the pressure turns on so when you start getting people into the woods deer still need to eat but they also really really concentrate on cover and it's got to be the right type of cover well you can find all kinds of cover like uh, your swamp edges and your marshes and things like that Uh, deer love going to those places especially when you've got them pressured but those are really hard places to hunt uh, because if you're on the ground, you oftentimes can't see over the brush and trees or, 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 you know, grasses, things of that nature. And there's often not many trees that you can hang even a, a you know, even a saddle set up where you're up high enough to be able to see. And so it took me a long time, Dan, to really find kind of the, the sweet spot of where everything was going to be. And, uh, I had planned to hunt this one particular property, um, over the course of a few days, I went and scouted it and, and had, uh, you know, all these plans. This is where I'm going to go tomorrow morning. And like 8.30 the night before, I'm still just kind of scrolling through my phone, looking on Onyx, and I was like, I got this pin here for this other piece of property that I I, I just have this feeling about. And we were right <laughs> in front of that uh, that big cold front that came through last week, Friday. Yep. And... uh I was like, I just have a hunch. And so blindly, I made the plan to get up in the morning and walk into this property that I've never been to before, not having any idea of really what I was going to see, but using the GIS map, uh, which at the time was the clearest map I could to see how thick the trees were, I could see that it looks like I could get into some trees over in this section, and, and I just had to get there, and I didn't know what that was going to look like. So after walking through, falling in a spring hole, <laughs> kind oh of getting lost in the woods, I found myself in a tree shortly uh, before 6 o'clock in the morning. Shooting time was at, I think, 6.25 that morning. Oh, you and, had time. Uh, you were there early. Yeah. I had a little bit of time, yeah. And so I got myself in a tree, got myself set up, quieted down. Um, and a few minutes after legal shooting time, I had a doe come just raging on past me, but she came within like seven yards. And I was like, well, hey, if there's ever going to be a day that a doe is going to come past you, this is a great day, cold front in the middle of the rut. I I will take that. And so she moved on. I I didn't have a tag to to shoot her anyways. And so um, uh, just about, uh, I would say it was about 20 minutes or so after she came through, I hear I hear a deer grunt, I hear some footsteps, and just as fast as she came in, here comes this buck. And it's a little four-corn buck, and he comes right underneath my stand to the point where I couldn't even get the crossbow on him because he was just straight up and down vertical underneath me. <laughs> and uh, uh, he came in, and he finally did give me a little bit of a, a window to shoot, probably about 15 yards away, and I was just getting the crossbow settled, and I heard more walking and i thought well i've been in this position before could be a bigger buck so i'm gonna pause on shooting this deer and see what it is and as soon as i had heard and thought that process here this coyote comes from right underneath my stand Mm. and is chasing this four corn buck oh boy 
This Forkhorn Buck is concentrated on that doe. He's grunting and he, he takes off. He's still grunting as this coyote is chasing him. Yeah. And I was like, well, that is the craziest thing. I've never seen a coyote chase a full-grown deer. Um, and it was just an interesting, you know, set of circumstances. And I thought to myself, Dan, this is, this was great. I don't need to, you know, I, I don't need to, uh, I don't need to experience anything more. If there was deer here, I felt good about it. We hadn't even hit eight o'clock in the morning yet. Yeah. About, uh, 20 minutes after that, after things settled down, just before eight o'clock, I hear more walking, but this is a lot slower walking coming from the same direction that four-corn buck had come. And I look up in that direction, and here is a nice buck coming ah, at me. Cool. And I, I couldn't count the points or anything like that. It comes slide down into uh, right to where that other buck went. He stopped, looked at me, pulled the trigger. He jumped and ran off, and I could see blood coming out of him. And he ran off to about 70 yards or so, and I kind of lost track of him and just caught him briefly walking through some of the poplars and, and off he went. And I thought, all right, I got him. He was, it was 12 yards. No problem. That is where things went a little weird. Okay. <laughs> got down out of the stand, looked for blood, saw blood, but also saw contents of a, of paunch. Hmm. You know, I was, I was back a little further than I wanted to. And so I knew this was going to be a much longer day than it was to just drag that deer out of there. Got myself out, and as I was walking out, I noticed that this uh, the blood trail crossed the path in which I had I needed to walk. Oh, I got a little nervous about that because I, I didn't want to spook this deer if he had just laid down nearby. Yeah, but this was now about an hour's worth of process before I had seen that blood trail as I walked out. Made plans to come back that night at 10 o'clock with a friend of mine. And I had to wait that late because a friend of mine had a dog that is uh, uh, lightly trained, is a young dog, lightly trained for blood tracking or for tracking deer. And uh, he had other things going on. And so 10 o'clock at night we show up and we start tracking this deer with this dog. And this dog is manic. I mean, he is on this track. And the deer is really bleeding well, Dan. I, I was really surprised how much he was bleeding. Uh, and we went 0.9 miles. Okay. Wow. Following this blood trail. Yeah. And uh, we went everywhere you can think of, back and forth, and uh, crossed the road about 100 yards behind the truck. And it was ended up being 60 yards into the road into the woods we drove right past him oh no when we drove in to go track him so yeah. we went almost a mile for a 60 yard drag <laughs> <laughs> that happens. but we did find the deer we did find the deer fantastic and the dog now to do this legally the dog has to be on a leash you can't carry a gun or a bow to go into the woods uh, correct. and uh, correct you did that right in the uh, the dog found the deer. That's remarkable. Do you think you could have found that deer without the dog? Dude, I maybe I could have found the deer, maybe, but I, I certainly, it would have taken me, it took, it took us an hour to travel that far. Yeah. It would have taken probably at least three to find that deer without the dog because there were places where blood disappeared. He went through some some water patches where we would have had to wander the outside to figure out which way he went. And uh, the deer, the dog had it right on track. And, and it was it was fun to watch the dog work. I mean, it's really cool to watch those blood tracking dogs work. 
Yep, and for folks who might encounter that same kind of situation, I think it's unitedbloodtrackers.com, if I'm not mistaken. I'm yeah, checking. I believe so, and they've got a, they've got a dog tracking network, Wisconsin dog tracking network on Facebook. You can get on there, and, uh, they're working hard over the course of, uh, the month of November to, to help everybody out. Uh, they know that's the busiest time, and, um, if you're in doubt, back out, call a dog. Um, uh, I don't believe anybody charges for the, uh, for the service, uh, you know, uh, you're able to, if you want to tip them or something like that, that's up to you. Uh, they're out there to watch their dog work. This is what their dogs love doing. And, uh, it was so much fun. This poodle pointer absolutely nailed it. And I, I owe Axel the biggest bone I can find, <laughs> uh, as soon as I can find one. Yeah. Well, the hindquarter might not, might go a long ways there too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I just checked. It's unitedbloodtrackers.org if you're interested in that. Well, Jeff, that's a great story. And, uh, let's hope that all the deer we shoot this weekend and into the gun season uh, go down quickly and don't require a long track or, uh, or a dog. But there are folks with dogs available if people encounter that great story we'll be back with more right after this listen to more outdoors radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information outdoors radio with dan small Hey folks, welcome back to Outdoor News Radio. Rob Jerisline with you for another segment. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoy the broadcast. If you do, check us out online at outdoornews.com. You can subscribe to our print or digital versions there. It makes a great holiday gift. Uh, you can also give us a call at 800-535-5191 if you would like to uh, check in with us and subscribe that way. We're going to check in now with David Schusler. He is the Chief Event Fundraising Officer for Ducks Unlimited down in Memphis, Tennessee. David, welcome. It's good to see you. Did I get that all right? You got it right. And, Rob, I appreciate you having me on today. It's great It's great to be with you. Well, we've had quite a waterfall hunting season here here up north. I'm guessing some of you guys down in the Midlands and farther south maybe aren't real thrilled with how the weather has been because I'm, I'm thinking, have there not been a lot of birds migrating through your neck of the woods just yet? Just starting to see it. And, and with this system that just came through recently and with Canada, for now, pretty much all of Canada, all of shallow water wetlands are frozen. And then with the snow that has covered the Dakotas, right. uh, migration is on for us. We're actually um, just opening up this weekend. and but But there is a lot of optimism out there. Um, some of our recent openings throughout the south, uh, and the, and the mid south have, have been a little warm, but we have great weather for it right now. And we have mother nature pushing some birds south. So, um, I'm thrilled to hear that y'all have had a great season. I, um, I, I want all of your listeners up north to have as great a season as you can have. But when it's closed, please push them out your back door so we can have them for a couple of months. Now, we were talking off air. You've spent a number of years with Ducks Unlimited. You've been around the country. You say uh, you really you really like this part of the world. You've done some had some good hunts up here in Minnesota. I do. In fact, I kind of call Minnesota my my second home. Um, and Wisconsin is a uh, is close behind it. I love Minnesota, but I don't necessarily just love it in the summertime like a lot of people. 
from the South who travel up. I love ice fishing. To me, it's a, it's a sportsman's paradise. Um, mm-hmm. that whole part of the world and, and I'm enamored with it, but I just love it up there. Let's talk a little bit about Ducks Unlimited. First of all, the website ducks.org. I want to throw that out several times during our interview here today, David. Tell us about the organization, how long it's been around, some of its great accomplishments and, you know, what's, what's the, what's the goal looking ahead to the future for DU? Been around since 1937. Uh, a pretty, pretty simple beginning. A bunch of sportsmen were wondering what was happening to the ducks. And of course, this is well before the days of, of the internet and 24 hour news. They actually, uh, sent somebody to the prairies of, uh, the northern U.S. and Canada and came to find out that they were in the middle of a really, really bad drought. It was the dust bowl days. Yeah. And these gentlemen who were businessmen in New York City came together and said, we need to do something. And they found the Ducks Unlimited and they started asking their friends for donations that they would send at that time to Canada uh, to build projects to make sure that when there was ample rainfall, that there were places for ducks and geese to breed and, and fulfill their life cycle needs. Fast forward to 2022. That's what we still do today. Um, we're, we are, uh, primarily a sportsman's base organization. We are not a duck hunting organization, although uh, our work certainly is critical to waterfowl hunters, uh, up and down each flyway. But the majority of our members are waterfowl hunters. The vast majority of our volunteers are waterfowl hunters. And we raise funds for wetlands and associated uplands all through North America to make sure that we have a sustainable population of ducks. Uh, so each year we all have the opportunity to go out and enjoy seeing them and enjoy harvesting them. David, uh, a serious question. You know, the drought, it's, it's been very dry here across central Minnesota. I know it's been dry across a pretty good chunk of the duck factory, or is it is it better in some places? Uh, you know, is Ducks Unlimited you know, watching that? Closely, especially as we start to look ahead in the 2023? Absolutely. We were lucky this year. For two years, in 20 and 21, uh, the Canadian Wildlife Service and the United States Fish and Wildlife Service did not fly their annual migratory bird counts and pond counts. Right. And- which they've been doing since the 1930s. It's the most extensive wildlife survey in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we weren't getting these reports that you get every July of, hey, here's how many breeding ducks we think there are, and here's how many ponds. What we were hearing from our staff on the ground and what I would hear from people in that part of the world is it's dry. It's really, really dry. Yeah. And going into this past breeding season, the the spring and summer of 2022, in February and early March, we were starting to have serious concerns about production on the prairies this year. We were very fortunate that we had some late wet snowstorms that helped the Dakotas and Manitoba and the eastern half of Saskatchewan greatly. And duck production in those areas this summer was high. And, and so there was optimism about what was going on. Western Saskatchewan and Alberta were still very dry. Had a good hatch, all things considered. Had good reproduction, all things considered. But, Rob, since that time, it's starting to get dry again. Now, we've had some snow up there the past couple of weeks, and the ground is frozen, which is very important. So when that snow melts, there's a quick runoff into the the shallow uh, wetlands and potholes that just dot that landscape. But we do need more snow because right now, the United States is about as dry as we've been in 40 years. 
Yeah. Uh, I can't exactly speak to Canada how long ago they were mm-hmm. this dry, but it's dry, and we all need to cross our fingers and do the snow dance all winter long to ensure that they have good snowpack in that area uh, so we can get back to high production of North American waterfowl. Tell us how Ducks Unlimited got through the pandemic. How did Ducks Unlimited weather that storm, and, and how was uh, – I got to think the outlook's pretty good right now as, uh, as we've come through the other side of that. We are in good shape. We learned a lot, and uh, a simple answer to how we weathered it was we pivoted, and we pivoted very, very quickly. March 20th of 2020 will be a historic day in the history of Ducks Unlimited because that's the day that we had to pull the lever and shut down our event system, our decades-old event system that provides the organization with so much of our funding. Very quickly, we developed online auction program that we launched in April of 2020, and then much of our staff and our volunteers started figuring out way to do virtual events using YouTube, using FaceTime, um, and then we developed our own platform where people could sign, could buy a ticket, sign in, and we would do an event. It wasn't the same feeling as being in a in an event hall, but we were actually able to do live auctions with auctioneers and give people some of that normalcy that they might have experienced for for years going to a DU event. It taught us that we do have the ability to raise money online and still have our event, our in-person event fundraising business like we have traditionally done. And I'm proud to say that last year, really the year that we came out of the pandemic, our event fundraising division raised the most money that we ever have for Ducks Unlimited. And it was a marriage of bringing those traditional events back and then also holding those online and virtual events because we discovered that there's just a group of people out there who would want to interact with us and support us over those type of channels rather than going to an event. You've got a big event coming up here, right, over Thanksgiving. What does it run uh, November 21st to December 3rd? Tell us about the Into the Vault promotion you guys have coming. Well, it's a national online auction. It's the third annual and it was born out of the pandemic. In the darkest days of COVID, in the summer of 2020, we were trying to figure out every way possible that we could raise funds for our conservation work because, you know, our biologists could still go outside. Our engineers could still go to work on project sites because they weren't inside. So we, we had this need to continue to fund this conservation machine. And our CEO, Adam Putnam, and I were walking through the office one day, and we were walking through the warehouse, and he pointed to the top of some rafters, and he said, what's in those boxes up there? And I said, Adam, I think that's um, some estate gifts that came into us a year or two ago. And he looked at me, and he said, figure out a way to sell them. And I said, well, we can do that because we have this online auction platform now. And so we developed the Into the Vault auction because we do have a vault here, like a concrete lined room where we keep a lot of the organization's historical documents. But we have some artwork in there and some high end guns there that have been donated to the organization. And we pulled that stuff out and we held our first one. And it was a massive, massive success. In fact, it was the largest auction that the organization had ever held in 2020. Well, I got to thinking and said, I bet there's chapters around the country 
that have access to these type of treasures, but just don't have a platform to, to sell them on. They, they probably know that they're not going to get the money to use that phrase at their local event. But what if I could offer them a platform to sell this on and then give their chapter credit for selling it? Because our chapters are like high school or college football. They all want to beat everybody else. So we got word out to our 2,400 chapters around the country, and lo and behold, we started receiving some of the neatest vintage waterfowl and hunting items that I've ever seen in my life. And so now it's a big consignment sale for all of our chapters across the country, and we also include those donations that come in from estates or for people who just want to donate stuff back to Ducks Unlimited. This year we'll have over 600 items. 2020 at the time was the biggest auction ever. 21 actually beat 2020. And I think the mix of items that we have in the 2022 sale is going to eclipse both of those. And I'm just, I'm just really excited about it. Excellent. Well, sounds like a great event. It runs November 21st to December 3rd. If folks want more information on this, where can they find it? Ducks.org slash vault. Well, it sounds like a great event. It's been fun getting to know you here today, David. I think we're going to have you guys on throughout the year, and uh, it'll be be fun to catch up on, you know, the status of the drought, the status of uh, duck populations as we get into next year, and just talk some good hunting and and talk some waterfowl conservation. Sounds great, Rob. I really appreciate you letting me come on today. That was David Schusler from Ducks Unlimited. Again, ducks.org backslash vault. If you want to check out all these incredible items, they'll be auctioning off here over the uh, the early holiday season. That was guest host Rob Dreesline. He's publisher of Outdoor News and host of our sister show, Outdoor News Radio. You can find more on that show at outdoornews.com. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. The fall colors are here. Plan a UTV color ride on the Blue Ox Trails. Hike ATV or disc golf to the top of Kai's Peak for a gorgeous vista. Or drive the 33-mile rustic road number 74 and fence through the National Forest. For an easy one-mile waterfall hike, try LaSalle Falls. For a more rugged hike, Breakwater Falls is best. For more info, stop by the Visitor Center or go to exploreflorencecounty.com. Have more success on the ice with the LiveScope Plus Ice Fishing Bundle LI from Garmin. Drill fewer holes, catch more fish. This portable live sonar bundle comes with the LiveScope Plus system, EchoMap UHD 93SV display, and a lithium battery. All packaged in a case making hole hopping a breeze. LiveScope Plus helps you find more fish with improved resolution, reduced noise, clearer images, and better target separation. Fill your freezer with fillets with help from Garmin. Visit Garmin.com or shop your local Garmin dealer today. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the disruption camo pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. 
Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RUFF. RGS. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Deer hunting is on nearly everyone's mind this time of year, even if you're not a hunter. Well, joining us now is a guy who is no stranger to deer camp. He's been hunting deer for more than 30 years and writing about deer hunting for more than 20, even though he's still a fairly young man. He's written plenty of articles for outdoor news publications and Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine, among others. And so far, three books, if I'm counting correctly, but I expect he'll be writing more of both. He leads a bit of an adventuresome life, and I think some would say reckless, I don't know. Joe Shedd joins me now from the North Shore of Lake Superior, and his website is GoShedHunting.com. Well, Joe, welcome back to the Outdoors Radio Network. Oh, it's always great to be on the show, Dan. I appreciate it. Well, you bet. Now, I said adventure-filled life and maybe reckless. I may have been overstating it a little bit, but your latest book, Bucktails, Stories from the Deer Stand, it's a great book. It has a couple of stories where you and sometimes with your buddies, you get into some tough situations, but you always seem to pull through, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty self-inflicted. I'm pretty accident-prone, but I don't think that makes a better story. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, some listeners may have read a few of these stories in Deer and Deer Hunting or Outdoor News, but others are fresh to readers. Uh, I don't know if you saved some for the book. Well, just kind of going through my memory of all my deer hunts over the years, some I'd written about. Some I just didn't have an angle that I thought would make a good story for a magazine, but I, I thought they would fit nicely into the book, and so I wanted to include them. They certainly do fit nicely into the book. Now, how how have you organized this book for listeners who haven't seen it yet? But I've got it into four parts. The beginning part is deer hunts. It's just kind of classic deer hunting stories, kind of how they happened. The second chapter or section is camaraderie, where kind of the people that were along on the hunt kind of make the story, you know, and the deer kind of, you know, are, are a secondary background feature. Uh, the third part, I can't think of it right offhand. You call it re- <laughs> reflections. <laughs> reflections, there we go. And uh, that's kind of where I'm kind of, you know, stepping back and just not necessarily telling a story, but kind of being a little bit reflective on, on the hunt and maybe a little bit introspective on, on why we hunt or why I hunt. And then uh, the fourth section is I, I threw in a, a moose hunt. I kind of threw it out on Facebook, asking people if 
if a moose hunt would fit into a, a book about deer hunting. And, well, the moose hunt story is pretty good, so people said to go for it, so I threw it in there. I think it was a good decision. It really puts deer hunting into a different light or a different perspective because most of us, if we're still able-bodied or even if we have, you know, I know folks who have that uh, action track chair wheelchair, and they can drag a deer out of the woods with their chair probably easier than you or I could just putting it on a sled or dragging it. We hope there's snow when that happens. But it's a different ball game when you have a moose down, isn't it? Yeah, you say the work begins when the, when the moose is on the ground. And, wow, it, uh, it's a whole, uh, it's an industrial-sized level compared to getting a deer out of the woods. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's go back to the first uh, section of the book, Deer Hunts. Is there a most memorable hunt that you wrote about or that you'd like to uh, to talk about briefly? I began the book with my first buck because I think that I think that was a natural starting point, and the first hunt was pretty memorable. It was uh, it was pretty wild. It involved my my nine year old brother driving a pickup truck down farm roads as we watched this deer running across the picked hay field in you know, middle of the middle of the day on a bluebird day. So uh, kind of unorthodox having a nine year old boy riding uh, driving a, a truck, but uh, it uh, it was deer season, and that's kind of <laughs> how it worked out. Yeah, and in those days, a nine-year-old couldn't carry a, a gun, but today he could if he were nine. Right. Yeah, and and you know we all do some things. Most of us, I should say, do some things that might be considered a little unorthodox come deer season. Although we all want to stay within the law, and that's important, and we want to stay safe, of course. Your second section on camaraderie. You've got some great stories there. Your buddy Opie seems to be about as accident prone as you. Yeah. Uh... We uh, we always ask ourselves how we we are this dumb, but we managed to live this long. <laughs> yeah, tell us about Opie and what what's it like to hunt with him. Well, Opie's a pretty decent hunter, actually. Um, he's he's been out hunting me. We hunt in northern Wisconsin, and he likes to stay put, and I like to get up and get around, and I'll I'll still hunt, or I'll trap, or I'll try all these things. But he's been out hunting me the last few years, so I'm starting to realize that maybe I just need to stay put in my stand. Yeah, but you guys got into um, a couple of, I won't say predicaments, but situations that needed some thought to get out of, didn't you? <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we've, we've done a lot of, uh, you know, between you know deer hunting and doing, we, we look for moose sheds, and, and we get this pretty big country doing that. And uh, He likes to hunt in, in really hilly terrain, so we've had to be kind of uh, resourceful to, to figure out how to drag his bucks out. One incident we had where we tied his deer around a tree and, and he dragged up, and I, I used the, the tree like a fulcrum, to, and I'm, I'm going down and, and passing him as he's coming up at me, and we're using the tree as a fulcrum to pull the deer up the hill. And it was a pretty big buck, too, so yeah. it was no easy work. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, and I think a lot of hunters do. Now, Amanda, uh, your friend, got into deer hunting, and you wrote about her first buck, and what was special about that hunt? There are getting to be a lot more women in the outdoors, and, you know, she didn't really grow up. Um, her dad and brother did deer hunt, and they were, were never really too serious about it, and she kind of, you know, had, had asked about it when we started dating, and what she didn't realize is that there's this mentored hunter program that you can, you can go hunting with a mentor without taking hunter safety course to get a taste of it. And uh, so she ended up going hunting. Um, she didn't get anything the first year. We did see a, a couple does, and then the second year... Um, we got permission to hunt on a friend's farm, and um, the deer were coming out to the farm field pretty reliably in the evenings. And she 
she could only hunt for three days, and third day we saw some deer, and, well, the third day magically turned into four, and then five, and then six, and seven, and finally on the eighth night she finally shot a buck. <laughs> yeah, and she had mixed emotions after she had shot that deer, which a lot of hunters can understand. I think we were both really excited. It dropped in its tracks, which made the, the tracking job easy, and, you know, we walked up on the deer, and, and it was a, it was probably a two-year-old seven-point buck, and she walked up on it, and she said, is it a spike? And I'm like, no, it's got, it's got points. You know? Mm-hmm. you know, she was really excited, and, and we walked up to it, and then she put her hand on the deer like, you know, I think most of us do. And this is something she hadn't seen before. She's done a lot of fishing with me. Um, she always makes me clean the fish. But, you know, this is something a little different, you know, when she walked up to it, and obviously she felt a little bit sad for, for taking this life. And, and that was a new experience for her. But, it, you know, it's a whole ball of emotions that, that we all feel and it was fun to see it through a rookie's eyes you know so I, I really enjoyed that I don't I don't have my own kids you know so it was fun to see somebody new experience something like that for sure and I think any one of us who have taken a female friend or relative uh, hunting has had that experience I took my wife deer hunting she wanted to see if she could do it and she was already like 60 years old or so I don't remember exactly when this was and she shot her first deer, and and uh, I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I can't believe I just did that. And she hasn't shot another one. She just wanted to make sure that if she had to, she could do it, you know, and she managed to do that. Your last section, reflections, and a lot of these stories are re- reflections or thought pieces, as some people call them. The one story that stood out to me was Dad's gun. Why don't you tell us about that one? That's actually one of the very first freelance stories I ever wrote. I wrote that when I was 21, 22 years old, something like that. Uh-huh. What's kind of neat about it is I was trying to think of how to illustrate this story, and I was going to just take a picture of the gun laying on a black and red plaid jacket. But yep. then I remembered that, yep. that we had this photo from 1984 of me and my brother and my dad, and he's got the, the gun resting in the, the deer's antlers, and it was a little basket seven-pointer. The story is about, you know, my dad's been hunting with this gun. I think he bought it brand new back in the 70s. It's a really fancy, nice gun, which is not my style. I'm, I, I, my shotgun, my duck shotgun, has almost no varnish left on the stock. I beat the <laughs> crap out of that. Thing. Yeah. So my dad had hunted with his gun for about 15, maybe 20 years. And then uh, back in 1993, my younger brother, James, was getting into hunting. And I've been hunting with a youth model shotgun. And so his first year season, so he was going to use that. So I needed a gun. So we went to look at this brand new uh, rifle that we found uh, in a newspaper ad back in the old days, you know. And yeah. it was a semi-auto 270. My, my dad's old gun was a 270 pump. So we bought it. We brought it home that night, and he said, well, which one do you want? And I said I wanted his old gun. And I was 15 years old at the time, and I think he was pretty surprised by that. Like, why would a teenager want this, you know, crappy old gun? You know, not that it's a crappy gun. It's a beautiful gun rather than, a, like, a brand-new one. Yeah. I wanted his old gun. So that was 1993, and here we are, you know, 30 years later, and I've, I've carried that gun every year since and probably always will. Yeah, well, that was a, a rather mature decision for a teenager to make. Yeah, you know, especially, you know, and, you know, how many guys have dad's old gun, you know, after he passes on. I got the gun while he was still hunting with me. He doesn't deer hunt anymore, but he, up until the time that he quit deer hunting, he was still carrying that, the other gun that we bought that day. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. I, um, 
My son is shooting my 270 now because um, we needed two rifles, and I've got my wife's 243, which she isn't using, and I like the later recoil. And I haven't officially gifted the gun to him yet, but as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure as far as he's concerned, it's his, and he'll probably keep shooting it. I know what you mean. So, Well, Joe, we got to let you go here. This has been wonderful, but uh, people who might want to buy your book, where do they get it? On your on your website? Is that the best place? Yeah, you can get it on my website, GoShedHunting.com. All right. Well, Joe, we will catch up with you again, I'm sure. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. You bet. Joe Shed from northern Minnesota, Wisconsin native, by the way, and his website, GoShedHunting.com, is where you can read his adventures, buy his books, and his videos as well. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. You wait quietly, but you're getting impatient. It's been two hours and still nothing. You hear it. It's close. You see movement, but you sit tight because safe hunting is no accident. With all different hunting seasons open, your fellow hunters could be in a stand, on the ground, or in a blind. Do not shoot at movement. Be aware of what's in front of your target and what is beyond it. Wisconsin DNR. Adventures and memories. Enjoy Wisconsin's wild side. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the Disruption Camel Pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Have more success on the ice with the LiveScope Plus Ice Fishing Bundle LI from Garmin. Drill fewer holes, catch more fish. This portable live sonar bundle comes with the LiveScope Plus system, EchoMap UHD 93SV display, and a lithium battery. All packaged in a case making hole hopping a breeze. LiveScope Plus helps you find more fish with improved resolution, reduced noise, clearer images, and better target separation. Fill your freezer with fillets with help from Garmin. Visit Garmin.com or shop your local Garmin dealer today. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. The fall colors are here. Plan a UTV call ride on the Blue Ox Trails. Hike ATV or disc golf to the top of Kai's Peak for a gorgeous vista. Or drive the 33-mile Rustic Road, number 74, and fence through the National Forest. For an easy one-mile waterfall hike, try LaSalle Falls. For a more rugged hike, Breakwater Falls is best. For more info, stop by the Visitor Center or go to exploreflorencecounty.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. Winterizing supplies are in stock or they can winterize the boat for you. Check out their website and Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, performance camo wear at a price you can afford, HuntworthGear.com. And by Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation, a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio at Duck Hunters Everywhere, Ducks.org. And our TV show, Outdoor Wisconsin, may not be airing in your area now, but you can always watch past episodes at MilwaukeePBS.org. And our Deer Hunt Wisconsin show is archived on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin YouTube channel. Just uh, go to YouTube, type in Deer Hunt 
Wisconsin TV. Put in my name, that might help, and it'll show up. There's a lot of amateur deer shows on YouTube as well. Uh, guys who shoot big deer and get videos of it and post them online, but uh, our show is there as well. So just, uh, just keep searching, you'll find it. Well, I'm Dan Small here with Jeff Kelm. Jeff and I will report on our opening weekend of deer hunting next week. So we hope you all have a safe and successful opening weekend. Be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio.